Hello, hello, and hello, everybody. Welcome back for another episode. If not now, when? In today's show, I am so excited to invite my friend, my mentor, my amazing serious entrepreneur Satish to join with us. Before the startup world, Satish has over twenty-five years of leadership experience in large major corporations such as IBM. AT&T Bell Labs. He has experience in taking the emerging technology from inception to market validation to revenue growth. As a serial entrepreneur, and most recently, Satish was co-founder and executive board member at Axon Propac, which was successfully acquired in 2016. He is currently on his fourth startup venture already. As a founder and CEO of Predixer, the last mile in actionable, predictable analytics to identify, eliminate waste, cloud spend. With that, everybody, please join me to welcome Satish. Thank you so so much for joining us, and welcome to the show. So, with that, super super excited and honored, Satish, have you to join us today. I'm curious, how does all the magic journey begin for you? So, for me, growing up in India, you know, the the career choices are very limited,、uh, especially the time I grew up. You know, either you're going to be an engineer or a doctor, right?、Engineer、Only two、doctor. streams, yeah. So for me, I liked engineering a little better than medicine. That's why I became an engineer. There's no big, grand idea as to why I became an engineer. I was very queasy about needles and blood and things, so I said, "Okay, I'm not going to be a doctor, so I'll be an engineer." So it's as、uh, sort of non-goal oriented as it is in terms of why I became an engineer, right?、Uh, so you know, and also engineering in a way gave me the opportunity、uh, to sort of look at, okay, what do I do next now that I have a degree? What do I do next? So in my head, it was all about okay, what's a transition that I can make now that I have a piece of paper that says I'm an engineer, right? And to me, I always wanted to explore the world. That was more a motivating factor than anything else. Do you always know that? I I always knew that because I was very curious as a child. Yeah. And I would, if I were to define myself, I'm a dreamer. I dream a lot, right? And to me, one of that was how do I explore the world, right? So that was the fundamental basis. And I said, okay, what's the best way to pursue that? And so my mother's side of the family,、uh, there were、uh, her brothers who had come to the U.S. long, long time ago, and they would always regale me with stories about how fun their journey was and. How exciting their lives are and things like that. So that led me to say, okay, my next step is, I need to go to the U.S.、Mm, <laughs> I love that you are a dreamer at heart. Right. So at the end of the day, I said, okay, what's the best way to come to the U.S.? Is for most immigrants, they come here to pursue higher education, right? I mean, that's typically how an immigrant's journey happens, you know. Coming to the shores of the U.S., if you will, and so even though I was not that big a, a fan of yet another degree, especially in engineering, <laughs> but I said, you know what, that may be okay because that's the best path to get to the U.S. So I pursued a, you know, master's degree in electrical engineering,、uh, which actually I did enjoy. I mean. I'm nothing against engineering,、yeah. but I'm not built out to be an engineer.、Yeah. You know, there are people who really have that engineering mind.、Yeah. I'm not one of those. I love that you know that about yourself. Well, I learned that. I mean,、mm. I, I can't say I knew that very、uh, sort of in my inner core. Yeah.、Uh, as a teenager,、mm-hmm. but all I knew was I cannot be 
one of those people who can be given a certain project and mm-hmm, say, mm-hmm. go develop this. Mm-hmm. That's not me. <laughs> can we take a second to talk about when you first come to America? I sure. still remember you mentioned it's one of the very first days. You sat in the floor without this fancy, you know, student courts and you order a burger. And can you tell the story? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, that, that was sort of my, uh, you know, foray into how I... Think, thought about assimilating into the culture, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, 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 so one thing I always knew, even growing up as a child, was <laughs> anything that's a, an un- uncomfortable co- question or a question that I did not know the answer to, I usually used sense of humor as a way to deal with it. Tell us about that right. story. <laughs> so, so, so that's really my defense mechanism, if you will. I mean, so in essence, I was sitting in this cafeteria all by myself. Second day of school, uh, and that's the spring quarter. I came for the spring part of the uh, mm-hmm. year. And so the campus was not still hustle and bustling. People were still coming back from spring break. Mm-hmm. So I had a burger and fries, uh, classic American food. And I'm sitting in the cafeteria. And this old lady who worked in the cafeteria, really amazing person, you know, sweet, sweet lady. She came up to me and out of concern, she did not know if I knew what I was eating. She said, son, I want to make sure you know that's beef. And, and she waited for me to sort of be alarmed and say, oh my God, I'm eating beef. And I had this wry smile on my face and I looked at her and said, oh, that's okay because only Indian cows are holy, American <laughs> cows are not. <laughs> and, and she she just, fell to the floor laughing uh, because I'd made that comment. And, 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 and that kind of stood with me. And I've said, I've told this story many, many times about that was sort of my entree into assimilating into the culture. And, you know, people usually react well to sense of humor. I just felt that story so, so sati, so you, because you are someone that I always not only admire and inspired by, but you just so chill and you don't take yourself too seriously and you can make jokes and laugh at yourself as you know with everyone i just felt that humbleness within you just really special well about you, you. Uh, i mean I, I just feel like a sense of humor is something uh this world needs more of yeah right uh th- that that's all i have to say that's about why that. you're here so tell us now you have a degree you finally arrive in the united states you loving it here but now what? You mentioned that you know engineer is not what you wanted to do any be all. Correct. But but also I knew that was a pathway I had to take in order to establish myself here. Right? So I finished my, uh, you know, electrical engineering master's. Mm-hmm. I was very fortunate uh, because my I did my master's thesis in a topic that was very central focus to IBM. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason that happened was uh, the the advisor that I have in my graduate school was on a sabbatical from IBM. He was a very uh, renowned person in design for test, Dr. David Wu, mm-hmm. uh, who was my mentor. Mm. And he had taken a two-year sabbatical. Uh, he was an IBM fellow, and he had come to teach at the university. Uh, so I happened to run into him and have a conversation, and he took a liking to me, and he said, would you like to pursue a master's thesis in design for test? And honestly, when he asked me that question, I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> I had no clue what design for test was. And I basically said, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> and, he, and he's like, okay, then let's do a master's thesis in design for test. I love that you have such an attitude. Like I call it yes and attitude. Whatever universe brought to you, you're like, yes, let's yeah. do it. And, and I just took a liking to this person who was so accomplished, who took the time to talk to me and inspire me. Mm. And, and I did my master's thesis in design for test. And lo and behold, you know, that's a very typical sort of, uh, the, the, the topic that I focused on was very uh, centrally focused at IBM mm-hmm. uh, in level sensitive scan design. And so uh, long story short, I was actually, Austin was not even my destination. That's a s- little bit of a small story on the side. I was supposed to in- go to Intel in Santa Clara 
for an interview with Intel. But, uh, you know, that was during Christmas. So I had to stay somewhere before I go to California because, you know, I didn't have a place to stay in California. But I had a good friend in Austin who offered saying, hey, why don't you drive to Austin from Florida, stay here, and then go to Santa Clara. That way you'll not spend a lot of money, you know. When you're just out of school, yeah. <laughs> I had $75 in my bank account, right? So it's not like I could just, uh, you know, fly off to California or anything. So, so I came to Austin. And while I was here, I really loved Austin. And this is 30 plus years ago. But I just loved the vibe of Austin. And this friend said to me, hey, you're here anyway. Why can't you just circulate your resume and see if there are opportunities. And you're still going to go to California for this interview anyway. But while you're here, make the best out of it. And that's it. I just circulated my resume to a few people. Those were the, you know, Christmas times. Not many people are even around to talk to you. And long story short, 4th of January, I got a phone call from some recruiter saying, hey, people at IBM looked at your resume and they find it interesting would you be willing to talk to them? I'm like, willing to talk to them? I'd be happy to talk to them. And so the rest is history. I was hired by IBM, mm -hmm. never went to that interview for Intel in Santa Clara. Wow. So Austin was in my, you know, yeah. the, sort of, it was destined to be. Yeah, it's kind of just cool that you were just saying yes to one thing lead to another another and then boom you are precisely. here 30 years later yeah precisely so so i really need to thank you know dr david wu mm. who you know gave me the opportunity to do that master's thesis i think it's it's so fortunate that you know speaking myself as an immigrant that there are so many angels along the way correct you know giving give us a hand correct. and give us shine a light for us and shining the pathway for us and I think it's amazing and incredible, you know, your mentor giving you an opportunity. Absolutely. But also reflecting back, it's you who say yes to the opportunity. <laughs> exactly. So kudos to you. So now you started a new job. You're laying off in Texas. Life is good. You are climbing the corporate ladder. And now what? So, so yeah, so, so I was doing engineering yeah. and design uh, at IBM, uh, which I can't say I was very thrilled about because that's not my forte. But, you know, you have to pay your dues before you go anywhere, right? And then I got this another amazing opportunity to work for AT&T Bell Labs, mm -hmm. which is... Which is wow. Which is a wow. I mean, for a 24, 25-year-old guy to be going and working for AT&T Bell Labs was a dream come true. The world best engineering... Premier organization, yes. right? Yes, at the time. It's but at the right. same time, it's again very engineering and research focused which is not my forte. Uh, but I said, wow, I got to take this, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, to be able to meet people mm -hmm. who you had read in your textbooks <laughs> is mind-boggling, right? You know, uh, Harman Gamal, Sam Poon, who invented the bipolar transistor, where people in my building in Marial, New Jersey. Wow. I mean, for me, it was almost like I was a kid in a candy store, you know? Yeah. I'm like, holy, these guys are people I've read in my books, and today I get to see them face to face. How does that experience shaping you, oh, Satish? mind-boggling, right? I mean, yeah. first of all, you're, you're intimidated beyond belief, right? Because Sampoon actually interviewed me for this job. And what was amazing was, so I was being hired as an applications engineer in this organization. Mm -hmm. And Sampoon is talking to me, and I can't even keep, uh, uh, words are not coming out properly. I mean, I, as you know me very well, when uh, words are not a problem for me. Yeah. <laughs> I can talk forever, right? But believe it or not, seeing somebody who, who's like a, you know, luminary in the field who was in your textbook to be sitting across from you to have that conversation is mind-boggling, right? So anyway, uh, you know, fast forward, I, I did application engineering. But I being always the sort of the troublemaker uh, in these big meetings they used to have, I used to ask all these questions, you know, about, uh, so I know you guys have all this great intellectual property, you guys have this technology, so how are you monetizing it? Are you selling it to the external world and all that kind of stuff? 
And you have to understand, in Bell Labs, people don't talk about monetizing anything, right? <laughs> They're all research-oriented people. They're only worried about what's the next coolest thing they should be working on and things like that. But, you know, it could have gone one of two ways, right? They could have looked at me and said, who is this idiot asking us all these dumb questions? Go away. But they did not. They took me seriously. And the organization that I worked in, Bell Lives Design Automation, started to seriously think about, I mean, not that I prompted them to think about it, but but it just gave them a little more impetus to focus on it. And lo and behold, six months of my application engineering converted into business development guy. <laughs> they said, okay, looks like this guy loves to, you know, want to go take our technology and see if there are customers out there and things like that. And Bell Labs was a very closed-in organization. They did not, they thought that their technology was so good, they shouldn't be giving it to the external world because of comp competition and things like that. But at the same time, internal organizations within at and at the time were looking at them and saying, no, 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 no. If you think what you're developing is extremely good, you need to validate that with the rest of the world in order to let us know that you're developing all these things. So anyway, that was my first pivot, if you will, mm -hmm. to getting into a business role within Bell Labs. Was it what you always wanted? Or that just also accidentally happened? I had no clue, right? Mm. <laughs> I mean, I was just going down this path, hoping somewhere I'll catch a break. Because what happens when you have an engineering degree, especially, you know, I'm talking about 30 years ago, is people literally put a box around you and said, look, you're an engineer. What are you talking about business and that and marketing? We have other people who, who are built to do that, mm -hmm. right? So they didn't fundamentally look at engineers as marketeers mm -hmm. or salespeople, so to speak, in the traditional sense of the word, right? So, so somebody had to take a chance on you to give you that opportunity in order to be what you wanted to be. And Bell Labs gave me that opportunity. <laughs> so now you have your break. Right. I have, I have my first break. And not only did they do that, they were amazingly supportive of that journey, right? Mm -hmm. So they sent me to Wharton to get an executive program mm. uh, that Bell Labs already had a good relationship. So I did that thanks to them, right? And so that even gave me a really big boost of even having tools to apply to what I was trying to do. And long story short, uh, believe it or not, I was the first guy in core Bell Labs to get a commission check. <laughs> they had never had a commission plan per se uh, at all because they're all researchers and, you know, they, so they had to sort of build a incentive structure for me with a base salary and yeah. a commissionable thing. I actually wrote my own plan because <laughs> they were like, we don't know what the heck this is. Why don't you come up with a plan and let us know how we should pay you? <laughs> Amazing. So I, I basically wrote my own compensation plan. <laughs> so, so anyway, so we made enough of a foray into the external market the design auto automation tools within Bell Labs that Cadence as a company uh, noticed that we had some good technology and Cadence acquired this group mm -hmm. that is Bell Labs Design Automation. And that's how I came to Cadence, mm. which is really where I sort of went up, if you will, the proverbial corporate ladder. Mm. And I was head of worldwide sales for a business unit. Let's take a second and talk about that. Wow. <laughs> You're the head of sales for worldwide? For a business unit, yes. That's incredible. How do you like that role? No, the, so even there, there were quite a few twists and turns, right? So mm -hmm. I make it to Cairns, and especially if you are coming into an organization mm -hmm. uh, as a company that's been acquired, uh, you don't have a, too much of a say in your destiny. Mm -hmm. when you arrive there, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're going to always look at you like, okay, we acquired you, so settle down. We'll tell you what to do, right? I mean, that's typical. I mean, that's that's nothing new. So they actually gave me an assignment that was pretty much doomed to fail, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. Because it was a very esoteric product. 
It was a very left side product. The regular sales channel didn't even want to touch it. Mm-hmm. So they were like, okay, here's this new guy. Let's give it to him. If he does well, great. If he doesn't well, you know, he'll even go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So that was the sort of proposition, oh. if you will, right? Mm-hmm. But sure enough, I took it and ran with it and made it successful. And then they were like, oh, okay. So this guy is okay. He can do it. That's how I inherited more responsibilities. Uh, And hence, uh, you know, about four years later, I was heading up worldwide sales for that business unit. Wow. So you really swing upstream on that. (laughs) That was not an easy jump. Not at all. Wow. Not at all. So Satish, at this point, you've been in America. You've been living your American dream. You've been really have one break after another. You've been, you know, catching, like you've been really stepping to your greatness and doing things you love. Right. At this moment, you, you know, you have amazing reputation. You make great money. You live well, like all the things. Why do you think about entrepreneurship? <laughs> so, so you know, there, you have to be a little crazy, right? <laughs> I mean, the one thing I tell about uh, tell people about entrepreneurship is, do not look at it as a romantic idea, mm. right? Because because a lot of people have this romanticism associated with entrepreneurship, right? And that's a very you know, yes, there is a little romance to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest. You have mm-hmm. to be a little romantic about it. You have to be a little dreamy about it, if yeah. you will. Those are all ingredients, but that can't be the foundation for you to become an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. right? What is your why? So so for me, it's really about A, curiosity, and plus, entrepreneurship gives you the unique ability to be jack of all trades. Mm. That's a good way to put it. Right. But at that moment, when you're in a fancy executive spot, how do you even think about entrepreneurship? So I'll tell you what happened. I mean, so being, you know, head of worldwide sales is a very, you're always in the pressure chamber, right? Yeah. You're in the pressure cooker day in and day out, quarter by quarter. Yeah. It's all about numbers, right? Mm-hmm. One thing about sales is there is no hiding. Mm. You can't hide, right? You can be a you can be in a technology group, you can be in a marketing group, you can be in a product group. You can hide a little bit. In sales, there's no hiding, right? Mm. Either you you post numbers, you or you are not posting numbers. End of story. It's very binary, right? So after a while, you know, even though you enjoy everything that goes with it, and for me, the f- most fun of the whole worldwide sales role was. I traveled the world, right? And to me, that was a lot of fun yeah. because I sort of equate sales at a fundamental level mm-hmm. to teaching. You really, in essence, are, because you're an evangelist, right? Mm-hmm. You have to evangelize what you're selling, which means you have to have a good grasp of what you're actually selling. Mm-hmm. Second, you have to make the connect of the value proposition to the customer mm-hmm. in a very cohesive way. Mm-hmm. And also, the another great attribute of a good sales executive is you have to be very affable, very friendly, right? Mm. Pe- people, uh, th- th- there is a quote that I learned from one of my mentors uh, who told me, people buy from people they like. And that's a very simple statement but a very telling statement Mm -hmm. you 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 sort of have to be liked in order because if everything was on par with your product and your competitor's product the reason they bought it from x or y is because there was that relation aspect to it right so relationship selling is a big aspect of anything you do right it's not just only in sales as an entrepreneur I mean, if you're a founder and CEO, what are you really? You're really an evangelist for your company. You're the chief spokesperson for your company, right? Yes, yes. Right. So, so, so if you come across very, you know, not so likable, you know, you're sort of like, oh my God, I got to do this. And, and that comes mm-hmm. across, mm-hmm. people are not going to be even willing to sit and talk to you, right? Mm-hmm. So... Being affable is extremely important uh, in any of these 
roles that you play in life. I love that. So what happened to you? So <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's, it came a point that I, I sort of bitten by the entrepreneurial bug, right? Mm. Because was it I, always there or just that moment, well, that time? you know, let's be honest. If you are trained an engineer and you reformed yourself into business development and sales executive and running a, uh, you know, a sizable P&L, which means you're a bit crazy and you're trying to do things that you're not sort of built to do, mm -hmm. if you will, right? Mm -hmm. so, 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 it's a, so it's a learning exercise. Life in itself on a daily basis is you're learning something new, so right? So beautiful. That, that's basically what it comes down to, right? Any aspect of your life, if you're going to really enjoy it, you're learning something new, mm -hmm. right? Somebody is teaching you something new every day. And it's the universe that's teaching you something new every day. I love that. Right? I tell people the life is just a spiritual journey in a way where just between you and the universe. 100%. And, and, and you know what? There are many different kinds of people, right? People are very happy with exactly what they're doing mm -hmm. for X amount of years, mm -hmm. right? And God bless that, right? Because you need all kinds of people in order to make this mm -hmm. thing a whole. We need diversity. Exactly, right? So you can't all, all be crazy like us, right? <laughs> <laughs> because if you had too many crazy people just like us, you can't run a you know, you know, very successful operation. You need people who will do certain things yeah. and not be bored about it. And even if they are bored about it, they'll be okay with it, yeah. right? Check and balance. Check and balance, yeah. right? So at the end of the day, yeah. So I still had, I probably somewhere had that entrepreneurial bug, mm -hmm. right? But in order to do so, you'll have to at least have some foundation. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I mean, you can say that, but you'll have to sort of work towards it, right? So what was that one moment? So for me, the one moment was uh, really, uh, I'd come to a point in in my sort of executive journey that I was not being, I didn't feel fulfilled enough, right? Mm. You know, just because you're making good money and your life is good doesn't really mean that everything is great, right? You know, that's why I keep telling people, you know, you see people from the outside and you say, oh my God, that person must have a fantastic life. You really don't know what that person is feeling on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Mm -hmm. In their life mm -hmm. or in their journey. So for me, uh, boredom is an enemy, right? <laughs> the minute I get bored, I, I, I have to look for something that stimulates me, right? So in this sort of journey of being a, you know, senior leadership person or an executive in a company was fantastic. It was very fulfilling. And uh, 10 years behind, I mean, if you went back 10 years from that point, mm -hmm. if somebody had asked me, oh, you'll be a pretty big whatever, and you'll be happy with that. I'm like, absolutely. That would be the end of it, right? I would love it, you know? That would be my answer, right? But you grow as a person, yeah. right? There is that personal growth. I'd come to a point where I said, okay, you know, I want to try something new. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people around me looked at me and said, I must be super crazy. Because Let's talk about that. You walk away such a huge... Glamorous lifestyle. Yeah, very glamorous. Yeah, absolutely. With nothing. I mean, one week I was flying to Rome. The other week I'm in Munich and Paris. And also, the beauty of a sales uh, executive job is while you are doing, you know, good business with customers and everything, you get to have a lot of fun too. Yeah. Because, you know, you're having these great dinners and you're meeting with clients. You're having great conversations. And... I was so curious to learn more about other cultures mm -hmm. and their food. And I'm a foodie and I'm a, <laughs> I'm a wine guy. So that added to the yeah. the whole notion of travel, right? So were you not afraid, Satish, walking away from all the oh, fancy things you on know the table? what? I would, be, I would be lying if I said I was not afraid. You have to be afraid, right? I mean, it's a natural... But you still did it anyway. I still did it only because what I didn't want when is regrets, mm. right? I didn't want to go... 10 years more and say, gosh, I wish I had given this a shot, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. and, and also, I, I also had this belief system, uh, you know, I was built into this whole narrative that, okay, so what? I will give this a shot. Mm -hmm. What's the worst that can happen? 
I'll not be great at or I'll fail. So what? I'll go find something else, right? Mm -hmm. So there was that fundamental sort of faith and confidence mm -hmm. that I have sort of done enough to build enough of a repertoire mm -hmm. professionally that I am able to go do other things. I love that. I and feel like you almost make a calculated you, decision. You, you have to, right? Be because at the end of the day, it it can't be a leap to an extent of, mm -hmm. I don't even know what I'm doing, right? That's a bit too much, right? Mm -hmm. So so you have to sort of internally tell yourself, uh, okay, is this something I want to do? And I, I what has always helped me in life is I sit down and formulate and say, what's the worst that can happen? See, because once you face that uh, aspect of what's the worst that can happen scenario, then there are no irrational fears. I like that. I love that you just sit down facing your darkest fear. And if you'll be okay with it, everything else is good. Correct, right? I mean, because irrational fear is what makes you do dumb things, mm. right? But if you sort of formulate to some extent and say, okay, is, if this is the worst that can happen, am I going to be okay dealing with it, mm -hmm. right? And obviously for me, you know, just to put it in perspective, the other life-changing event that had happened for me at that time was my son was born in 2002, right? And I fell in love with this little kid. Yeah. And to me, the thought of traveling the world while this kid is growing up was a bit disconcerting to me. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a part of his life of in a more meaningful way, right? And so, so, so that also made a big, you know, that was a match, major contributing factor in, in, in why I said, okay, this will give me the flexibility to sort of be around him mm -hmm. and work around it and still pursue the things I want to do. And obviously, not to forget, the overarching thing in all this is having a supportive spouse. <laughs> let, let, let's not bury the lead here, right? Yes, and yes. Family, truly, the yeah. support, the so love. My, my wife was totally supportive in this journey. I mean, if not, I would not be doing this, mm -hmm. right? So, mm -hmm. you know, so that that's extremely important. Beautiful. So tell us, how is first venture? So, so first venture, you know, was in the radio frequency identification space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, you know this because uh, Tejas is a common friend mm -hmm. uh, to both of us. So he and I did this uh, uh, startup. Uh, and, you know, we learned a lot. Uh, the thing about RFID was uh, that was sort of revolutionizing the whole supply chain mm -hmm. aspect to it. And it was sort of mandate driven. There were two big stakeholders, Walmart and Def Department of Defense, mm -hmm. who were driving this, mm -hmm. right? And so essentially, what I think at the end of the day, we had extremely good technology that we mm -hmm. developed. Uh, we were going after the low-cost market. Mm -hmm. uh, and But also, it was consolidating a myriad of things and putting it into one device, right? I mean... The, the, basically, at the time, what they were doing was they were just glumming the RFID circuitry onto a server and building it, you know, selling it for $5,000. We said, no, nah, you don't have to do that. Keep RFID just the way it is as a device. And there are server-centric software that can take the data, prune it, and you can do all the analysis you need. So anyway, so long story short, I think there I feel like we were ahead of the curve, if mm -hmm. you will, or timing. Timing is the issue, right? So we were trailblazers, right? Mm -hmm. So as a consequence, uh, we showed the people who came after us what should be done and what should not be done. Right? Yeah. <laughs> to me, more importantly, what should not be done. What's it the hard lesson to swallow given that moment you were coming just from this fancy yes growing. yes 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 it, it is a knock on sort of your ego to a certain extent uh but having said that i can say this now with more conviction than if you had asked me this 
you know 18 plus years ago is when when you do not succeed at a venture initially uh you are not objective enough to draw lessons from it mm. because it's very close to the event right mm-hmm. you have just gone through it you can't be objective about it so what is your biggest lesson from so that? for me the biggest lesson was you learn how to formulate things better mm-hmm. right uh and also y- you'll also learn to adapt to different circumstances but really in that venture i don't think there was any mistakes made per se it's just the dynamic of the market right so when do you decide to move on how do you know no no you will know i mean if you're if you're pragmatic enough and willing to accept reality i mean what happens sometimes is you can sit there and be very adamant about not wanting to accept something right uh but but at some point pragmatism has to come in and you have to be able to say hey listen you you fought the good fight mm. time to move on right and two things happened to be honest with you it was not just the uh market timing per se also don't forget this big financial event happened in 2008 <laughs> when the market crashed and everything went to hell in a handbasket right and if you are going after disruptive technology or something that's going to change things businesses are not going to entertain disruptive stuff when they are going through financial ruin right that's not the time when somebody is going to stick their neck out and say i'm going to do something disruptive nobody's going to do that right so so how would you keep going when at the time it was so challenging and you know the environment as well as your first venture How do you feel like you know what this is not the right perfect moment but I'm going to keep going. How do you keep moving forward? So so to so, so to so to some extent there has to be a reprieve, right? I mean you're not going to jump from one venture to another uh like in days. I mean that's never going to happen. You're going to step back, take stock of what needs to happen and things like that and and also you need to go back and replenish your bank account so you go do a real job for a while <laughs> and you, you you don't just jump from one venture into the other so to speak right mm-hmm. so so did some of that mm. right and then you also start to realize what i what many people will tell you is you do learn a lot from failures right uh, and and that's not a, just a cliche right you know sometimes people use that as a cliche oh you learn more from failures than successes to a large extent it's true because it gives you a lot of objectivity right uh, and if you're going to and by the way you have to be willing to learn i mean you can't just say uh, failures will teach you something i mean if you are not open to learning <laughs> it will never teach you right i mean that's very good point yeah because you know if you're going to say ah that just whatever you know it was some uh thing that happened and there's nothing to learn from that i know everything under the sun uh i'll it was just that this or the other give hundreds of other reasons and move on right but anyway so so to me you, you from the from anything that's a failure or what's considered a failure because really if you think about it when startups see people have this very binary notion that a success in a company or a startup or a venture has to be either a extremely good exit or a financial event that made you super rich yeah yeah you only hear some of those you never hear the ones that never made it right but what i'm saying is there are other kinds of exit too you could have developed certain things that somebody can take and run with that's an exit as well i mean your exit doesn't have to be the classic grandiose hollywood end ending of you know you making a billion dollars those happen few and far between mm-hmm. for every google and facebook <laughs> there are probably you know 50 to 65000 startups that went to the graveyard that nobody talks about <laughs> right mm-hmm. i mean even the vcs don't ever tell you how many investments of theirs failed they'll only tell you the two that succeeded very much right 
but that's just part of life. Mm. That's how things are, right? So tell us about what is the journey afterwards. So you? afterwards, I did some actually very meaningful startup, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so we did one in the semiconductor supply chain, right? Uh, which dealt with uh, long life cycle products and with uh, obsolescence, which is a big issue in the long life cycle products as it pertains to semiconductors and things like that. We worked with companies like Flextronics, contract manufacturing and things like that. So that startup was very sort of very niche, mm -hmm. very s s small problem solving. It was not something disruptive like the first startup, mm -hmm. right? So this one had very clear goals in mind. So that was a smooth sailing, if you will, right? But also it had very clear uh, boundaries. It didn't have this massive, with RFID, you know, it was a sort of a transformational kind of technology, you know, pivoting away from barcodes to going into this uh, RFID where line of sight is not the issue, all those things, you know, quite disruptive um, for that marketplace, right? So the subsequent startups were, you know, sort of very, you know, problem A, solution B, right? That kind of Clean. Very clean, right? Yeah. And then, of course, uh, subsequent to that was a very fun, crazy, and the the space that I had no much knowledge in, uh, which was in the polymer space. <laughs> which is crazy. Which is crazy, but this is a fun startup that I was part of. And, you know, my cousin is the one who, he was the subject matter guy. I was sort of the, hey, go fundraise, uh, let's go get a patent. How do we sort of look at the business aspects of it, things like that? Because I didn't have much sub subject matter expertise in the polymer space. But but the end product of it was fun, right? Which is, you know, non-refillable, tampered evident closures for liquor, <laughs> high-end spirits, right? Uh, so that was a fun five plus year journey and a good exit. Yeah, how does how's that feel about having that, an amazing exit? Yeah, that that was fun. I mean, it, it's always good, you know, to have those as well, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, Almost like that's like a first big validation ever since you start entrepreneurship. Correct, journey. exactly. Yeah, that was that was definitely a a big validation, right? I mean, especially what I liked about that venture was I learned way more on a daily basis than any other venture because I had no clue about it. Meaning mm. the, the, the core expertise yeah. was, that's not my core expertise, you know, and that had manufacturing and it was capital intensive. Mm -hmm. So not only did we raise cash, uh, uh, you know, funds from, uh, you know, you know, high net worth individuals initially, friends and family, but we had to go take a bank debt. I never participated in any venture where you take, uh, you know, debt mm -hmm. from bank. And those those can be very tricky. <laughs> you know, talking about raising capital, what's your take about a key things for any folks and entrepreneurs in the journey? One, the raising capital. What do you think is the key to your success at the moment? So to me, so this is just my personal uh, observation about fundraising is, uh, more typically what people do which I consider is a bit of a mistake mm -hmm. is they try to raise money very early mm. right and I'll tell you why that is not a good thing mm -hmm. until you have sort of formulated your strategy of what you're trying to do and you've also had some mini failures with those start is starting points mm -hmm. if you will because in a startup's journey, what people don't realize who have never done a startup is there are multiple failures that happen in the first six to nine months. Yes. I mean, yes. you can call them hiccups or failures. Take your pick, right? Yeah. You, you know, semantics, right? It's not made that words. Right. <laughs> These are all, yeah, exactly. Failure sounds so debilitating. Yeah. Crazy. Or you big. Know. Yeah. Hiccup sounds very, oh, you know, sort of mundane and, yeah. and, and very, you know, innocuous, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. But but if you really think about it, you know, in a st when the first 12 to 15 months of any startup, 
to me is almost a gestational process right where mm-hmm. where so many things are fluid mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. there's nothing sort of concrete and you know the, uh, not to say there are not exceptions you know there could be startups where the founders know from day one everything under the sun mm-hmm. and they know how their product plan looks like what they're trying to do what's mm-hmm. their service strategies yada 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 but that's not truly uh, i mean that's a utopian startup if yeah. you will right yeah. but a true startup is really where things are fluid and people are putting phenomenal ideas on the table but you still have to vet them you know that's why i i, I as you know i teach a class of, of uh, intro to entrepreneurship for high school students and things like that mm-hmm. and one of the first things i tell them is you know validating what you have is so important before you do too many things mm-hmm. in in any mm-hmm. business venture right you got to go to who you think are the consumers of what you're trying to develop mm-hmm. and make sure to validate that indeed that's what they want to consume yeah. right having a product market fit is crucial, crucial. before you raise him capital correct and, and and typically what happens is and this is true of most entrepreneurs so i'm not saying uh you know this is me or you or whatever any entrepreneur initially they are not happy listening to contrarian viewpoints because you have a belief system right i mean you believe in something so it's your baby so when somebody tells you to your face eh that's not going to fly uh, or what are you talking about has been done before or somebody else has already done it or whatever your first reaction is to be defensive right you are going to always try to tell them how how different this is how unique this is or how how wrong they are or whatever and those things all happen but to me validation is so important because at the end of the day that process of what you do in terms of validating what you are trying to do in fact i even say wash rinse repeat so do that at every step of your startup journey right whether it's 6 months 12 months 18 months 24 months whatever it is at every stage you're still validating something because you may have developed something you have done a different variant of it or a different release of it or a different version of it you still need that validation so consistently you are going back to a uh, audience in order to understand what's going on and the other thing i tell most entrepreneurs who are starting off is please surround yourself with advisors who are very comfortable telling you you're wrong and that's something easier said than done <laughs> right because people usually surround themselves with cheerleaders who are telling you oh satish when you guys are awesome i mean i can't even think of anything wrong with what you're doing it's all awesome. I'm on. Let, let me know. I'll bring my pom poms and you know. <laughs> you know. Always bring the pom poms. Cheerily, right? So, so what? What? What has served me well in my journey is, you know, even friends who are very honest with you, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to have good friends who, who can tell me, "Sachi, that's bullshit, man. Don't, don't do it. There's no value to that." Or let me tell you why. What you're thinking of is. not that great or earth shattering or transformational whatever it is right and that's good to have that's very healthy mm-hmm. to surround yourself with people who have your best interest at heart mm. we have to underline that yeah, because yeah. you don't want to just have contrarians for the sake of being contrarians right that you can find anywhere you don't even have to look for them they they'll they'll find you and tell you how wrong you are right <laughs> that's not what i'm talking about what i'm talking about is people who actually care for you yeah. who who want the best for you who are your well wishers and then they'll also tell you the other things that go with it love that so really two keys of successful fundraising is number one have your product market fit test test and test secondly surround yourself with the right advisor trusting mentors will tell you no right. and help you really pivot build the product and build a team that's way more smarter than you mm. surround <laughs> people with you who are way loving. more smarter than you Yay. so which sort of comes to when people ask me right 
so what do you consider uh when you are a founder and ceo right yeah. and the best analogy that i come up with for me is the conductor of an orchestra mm, right? tell us more yeah so if you look at these phenomenal you know the new york philharmonic or the israeli philharmonic whatever these big orchestras that you see or even the local orchestra that you see there is a string band there is a string band there is people who are playing violin somebody is playing the piano somebody is trumpet whatever it is right they are all outstanding gifted musicians in what they do right mm-hmm. but they still need somebody to come in and organize that whole thing and conduct and coordinate if you will in order to bring out the best out of all of them mm-hmm. and to me that is how i look at if you're either a founder or a ceo or somebody in that leadership position in that startup because at the end of the day this guy may not know how to play the violin <laughs> or the piano or the you know string instrument whatever the case may be but he knows enough about what they bring to the table to put that ensemble together and create beautiful music mm. right so that to me is my definition of an effective founder or ceo i love that yeah. the ability to bring a beautiful symphony ensemble correct where the why diverse team Correct. members so you don't need to be the smartest person in the organization yeah i mean th- there is this notion that all founders are the only the savants and the people who you know to me there's a combination right this typically to me a good founding team is a person who understands uh if it's a technology product the person who understands a good overarching view of what it means to take that to fruition right you need that <laughs> you need that then that person knows who all to bring in to make it happen right but then you need a co-founder who understands all the other aspects of like go to market and how do i go get my first referenceable customer how do i drive a pilot initiative uh, and things of that nature those are all important mm-hmm. and typically what happens is to get both those aspects in one person is not yeah easy it can be it, done it's unlikely it's almost like it's hard to do that yeah yeah it's almost like you can be color white and black in the same time right. they put those just a two exactly. different I mean, skill set if your if you if your startup is not too technocentric you probably can you probably can yeah. right i mean because you know like you could have an engineering background you may be a lousy engineer but you understand technology yeah, right yeah. so 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 to me so for example you know when people ask me how do you define yourself i say i'm a technologist and i like to apply technology to real world problems and mm-hmm. find solutions right i like that yeah. that's a great definition of yeah. you yeah <laughs> so that's me right but if you ask me what's optimal code or how do you you know take elk stack and do this i'm like eh, go away i mean i i don't have that aspect of you know if somebody asks me you know java script if you take java script and you know combine that with this that and the other yeah i'll get it conceptually but that's not me you don't need me for that there are a lot of other brilliant people who can do that So last back to you Satish. Okay. Now you had a fantastic asset. It's finally a big validation since you stepped out from this fancy leadership role, right? In a big corporation. Now what? Why are you so crazy to start another startup? <laughs> See, like I said, you 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 sort of have to be crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. But but also let's be honest, right? I mean, you, you really still want to be doing something and be productive. right i mean that's really more the motivation than anything else i mean you want to be productive in life you know you know there's only so much you can go and play golf <laughs> <laughs> and 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 my son is still in college don't forget when i mean colleges are not cheap <laughs> you still have to go do stuff right so 
yeah so you know the, the current startup i'm in right mm-hmm. uh, which is optimizing cloud resources eliminating cloud waste things like that that was very i mean that was a problem that was existing there and it was fairly obvious mm-hmm. so it was not like you know it was something it was not a eureka moment yeah, if you will right yeah. but yeah it's 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 fun <laughs> i love that you just you know always curious and stay humble and keep going and i'm curious you know satish it's so obvious that you know you are this just smart guy and just want to do cool things and i'm curious what drives you you talk about uh you don't want to stay not productive right what drives you all along the way so if there's one thing that well i mean just so that it doesn't sound very uh idealistic or anything and it's uh, okay no no I, what what i mean by that is i mean th- there are many days uh i'm not this you know uh, you know f- full of joy and things like that there are days i'm thinking okay what what am i doing you know because all you, those days because you had asked me that question remember yes so we would meet often and you would ask me see she you're always happy you know right you, you're always smiling or whatever i try to because what's the alternative right i mean if you really think about it a we are all very blessed mm-hmm. you know let, let, let's let's stay, take that in for a second right mm-hmm. we are all blessed you know we are not going hungry mm-hmm. right uh, we have a great life we have a good family and so there is something to be said about being grateful for what you already have mm. right so that's kind of what brings me out of the funk if you will right I love if that. i if i go do go into funks mm-hmm. which i do uh, so does do. every human being right what brings me out of those temporary funks is knowing how how blessed most of us are right yeah we don't have to worry about the next meal or this or that or the other and we have a rich life in terms of experiences and people we meet and places we go and things like that so so once you sort of bring that gratitude element into your life mm-hmm. rest works out easily by itself what do you want to leave this world behind with satish oh that's a very lofty what, question what do you <laughs> imagine if we all pass which we will you know hundreds years later what do you want the world remember you by You know what I've never been asked this question. So <laughs> if not now when? So I, you know for me uh it's the very basic things that I think uh if I if there is a legacy that I leave which is he was a good dad, mm. good guy and a good friend. To me that is way more meaningful. than anything else you know, you know it's not the assets or uh this that and the other because you know for me when i get to just talk to my son play around a golf with him that brings more joy to me than anything else so i guess to me that's you know if my family says hey you was a good guy <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was a good dad and things like that to me that that's a lot more meaningful than anything else I love and a that. good friend because to me my friends are my assets mm. really you know i have a really good group of friends that are near and dear to me mm. uh, and for me if if my friends said oh my gosh it is so fun to hang out with satish that's fantastic well <laughs> Take word from me. I always have a good time hanging out with you, <laughs> and this is one thing that I think Satish make you so special. Is you're just so oh, humble you. and so true to yourself. You're and too that, kind. That authenticity, that humbleness, that that curiosity, and that fun energy you always bring. I truly think that that's truly make you special. So my last question for you, Satish. All is, right. I know that we. people that you and me come a long way and I'm curious to hear your perspective or your definition about what American dreams means for you in looking back the entire journey you have embarked that's a great question right to me uh when i look at and i say this a lot and you know when i'm talking to my son or i'm talking to young people 
the journey of an immigrant coming to this country is probably the most amazing part of coming to the US right uh, because this you know with all the noise we have today in the world and you know there are political differences and this that and the other but if you if you kind of cut through the whole clutter the immigrant experience that one goes through coming to the us and the rich experience they garner along the way and this uniquely in my opinion this this america that we call a great experiment is probably the most unique experiment on planet earth there's nothing like it right and to me if you are if you are fortunate to go through this journey and and just taken all the rich expenses rich experiences mm-hmm. the highs and the lows and everything that goes with it it's just beautiful <laughs> so you you just have to be grateful that one had that opportunity to go through that journey that's the best answer i've got satish <laughs> wow so beautifully put and you are so right i think at the end of the day people like you people like me are so fortunate having that experience having that journey having that tenacity having the courage to get on this journey to find not only what is on the other side of this wonder american land but most importantly what is within ourselves and i think that is the biggest gift ever So with that Satish thank you so so much oh, for being thank here you. today. What a lovely conversation. I am so inspired by you and your story, your journey each and every day. Truly. Thank you, thank you for thank being you. here. Thank you. And thank you everybody for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do and I cannot wait to see you all next week. Bye guys. Mm-hmm.